The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. You heard it read this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. What he's talking about in this context is the Lord's, the day of the Lord. This, the day of the Lord is something that's mentioned several times in Scripture, mostly in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. I'm not going to read all these passages to you, but there's something about the day of the Lord that's clear. There's two elements to it. First, there is judgment. And this has to do with Jesus Christ coming and exercising judgment over those who have opposed the gospel and have tried to keep people from getting to the gospel, both God, the Son, and his children. And so uh, this is, begins with judgment, but then it ends with blessing. And it's always pictured that way when we see it in Scripture. We see these things. And let me give you this. These are just a passage. But these two passages speak about the two different parts of the day of the Lord. What starts with judgment and tribulation, ends, tribulation and wrath, ends with peace and joy, the blessing of God. And um, this day of the Lord is revealed in the Old Testament, and it begins with a time of wrath and judgment of the wicked, followed by an era of peace and joy as Christ rules over the earth in his glory. We are a blessed people. We have a loving Savior who cares so much about us that he brought us into this kingdom that we are a part of, we are members of. In 1 Thessalonians 5, this passage that, we, that you heard read this morning, the issue is, well, when does it start? Because what was happening was the people, if you remember, he talked about those who were confused because some of the, at least one person within that new flock, that new church that came to exist through the preaching of the Apostle Paul, at least one of them had died. And they couldn't figure out what was going on because Paul had been teaching them that there's a day coming when Jesus is going to catch you up and bring you into a meeting in the air with him. And they couldn't figure out what happened. Somebody died. And so Paul explains, the, those who are alive are not going to precede those who have died. Those who have died are going to be raised from the dead. And along with the living, they're going to be caught up into the air and meet Jesus in the air. And they will always be with him. Now, that's supernatural. If you have a hard time believing that, that's understandable until you put faith in Christ because it's a supernatural event in which Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to uh, catch up his people and they're going to be with him in the Lord. He's going to take them into the very presence of God. That's what we look forward to, anticipate. But this is a different issue, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord begins with judgment. And so they had been told, people had been telling them, we're in the day of the Lord. You probably have talked to people that kind of have that attitude. Things are so bad. Things are so bad in this world. We must be in a day of judgment. I remember Ruth Graham, who's Billy Graham's wife, said, if God doesn't bring judgment on America, he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because she had seen so much bad things going on in our culture. Some of them thought they were already experiencing the day of the Lord, the time of judgment. But I'd like to explain something. It's true there is tribulation around the world. The word tribulation can mean trouble. But the tribulation that that Paul is talking about, this time of tribulation, is a time when the God of the universe is going to come through his Son and bring judgment on those who oppose the gospel and stand against it. And he is going to judge them. And this judgment has to do with making things right. 
Over these last few days, we've seen so much mayhem in this country, so, much, so many murders and, and things that have happened, and people get the feeling like, that guy needs to get what he deserves, right? That's how we feel. None of you would admit that, but that's, that's how we feel. It's like this, this should be, there's guilt here. There's something horrible that's happened. They need to be stopped. They need to be removed. And this is what Jesus Christ is going to do in this time of tribulation. He's going to judge those who stand against him and do not want to allow the gospel to go out to people who desperately need it. This is exactly what happened in the nation of Israel when Jesus came. They were upset because Jesus was being seen as the the Messiah, the King of glory, and they didn't like that because they were jealous of it. And so they opposed Jesus, and then they opposed his followers once he was crucified and went back to heaven. So what, what the day of the Lord is all about is, first of all, about judgment, and then it is about blessing. The blessing comes because of the presence of God. Now, in this passage that we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians 5, several things are revealed here about it. Questions are answered. The first question is, how will it arrive? How will this this day arrive? Well, he tells us in the first two verses, it says in verse 1, Now, to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you. Paul has taught you the truth about this. Paul's writing this letter. He had taught them the truth about this. And he says, so you don't need more information. You have the information. You just need to understand how it fits together. And so he says, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. So what is a thief in the night? Why would he use such an expression? What is a thief in the night? What does it express? Well, it express something that's unexpected. Thieves come in the night because they don't want to be seen. And so the day of the Lord is going to come upon this world at a time when they expect it not to come. And so he had told them this. He had explained it to them. And so what they needed to know was, have we already entered into that day, or is it still true that it's still in the future and we're not going to be here when it takes place? And so that was the, that was the issue he was dealing with. When does it start? And then um, in, verse, in the next couple of verses, he's, he's going to, Uh, talk about the first events within the day of the Lord. We'll know that we're in it when it takes place because there are certain events that are going to take place. And uh, that's actually told us when we get to 2 Thessalonians, there is a Thessalonians after the 1 Thessalonians. When we get to 2 Thessalonians, we're going to see that there are certain specific events that are going to take place that let us know that the day of the Lord, that is that God's judgment on this earth and upon those who oppose the gospel and this blessed time of believers experience the presence of Christ in this, in this world. And then the next question he, that is asked is, how will it arrive? Well, it's going to arrive according to verses 1 and 2 that I just read to you. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So they did need some information. They needed to know, no, it has not yet occurred. You are not living in the day of the Lord. And believe me, you're not living in the day of the Lord. You're living in a day that sometimes we get upset about, but this isn't the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of his judgment on those who stand against the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand against Christ's authority. See, what you heard this morning was the, the effects of young children hearing the word of God made applicable to their life. And so what they do in Awana is they memorize tons and tons of scripture. 
I mean, far more than you've memorized, probably. These children are amazing what they can, what they can remember. I'm amazing for what I can forget. You heard my son testify to that. And one of the things I forgot was to include him in the well. So what he's telling them is, look, you don't need for me to tell you the times and, and epics. These two words indicate two things. One is the specific time, the sequence of things. And the second word means the quality of time. What kind of time is this going to be? He says, you don't need me to tell you this because he, he taught them this before. And so the next question uh, that he's going to ask is, is found down a little bit later when he talks about how is this going to affect the world at war with God in verse 3. What they felt was this need for reassurance about the present. They actually thought they were in the day of the Lord. Now, we have, we've had several movements in the world that have declared that Jesus has come or is on the verge of coming tomorrow or the next day, and you need to give us some more money so we can get this word out. So we can put big signs on trucks and drive them around and tell people that the day of the Lord is coming. Do you know that the day of the Lord is coming? Yes, you do. In fact, you probably have seen signs that say the day of the Lord is coming. But there are certain things that have to take place in order for the Lord to come and and for the day of the Lord to come. And here's a wonderful thing. Until the day of the Lord comes, we have the right and the ability and the empowerment of the Spirit to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear it and to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ, and we still live in a time when we can give this message to others. That's what he's called us to do. Now, the next question he's going to mention is, uh, well, what I want to do is talk about how it's going to affect the people in Christ. How is this going to affect Christians? What is this going to do? The Bible says, this is a clear statement, the Bible says that when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you will never come into judgment. You will never come into judgment. That is condemnation. Now, parents, sometimes you think of, well, I had to judge my child. I had to give him a spanking. I had to exercise a little penalty on my child the other day. And so when I read that God does not give judgment, does not bring his children to judgment, he must not chastise us. That's not true. I'm not going to ask for any volunteers, but I'm sure some of you have experienced the chastisement of God. That is, that he has allowed things to happen in your life, and he has caused things to happen in your life so that you would know exactly the significance of what you have been doing and how you need your eyes opened. I talked to a a good friend of mine here recently who had fallen into serious sin, and it it broke my heart to listen to him talk about what a tragedy this was from his perspective that he had fallen into this rebellion and God had to exercise his, his discipline in his life because he loved him. And he knew it was because he loved him. And, but this is talking about judgment. There's judgment coming on this world. And so he's telling us that it's not going to notice these, these things. First, we won't be overtaken by the day of the Lord. We're not going to be overtaken by the day of the Lord. That just means it's not going to it's not going to catch us, and we don't know it. We're not going to be caught. And that's what they thought was happening, that the day of the Lord had occurred. And he's saying, no, it has not. And so what are they going to be doing? Well, he tells us that whenever it does come, during that time, this is what's going to happen. Listen to this. While or whenever they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. 
and they will not escape. I know you ladies know what birth pangs are and what it's like how when, I remember we had a lady that gave birth to her child at Over Valley Bible in their driveway in a Volkswagen because the labor pains started coming and all they could do was call a policeman to come out and he delivered that baby in that little Volkswagen. And I thought, wow, what a delivery room. But it came fast when the birth pangs came. It means it's going to happen. If you remember back in the first chapter of First Thessalonians, when it says that, we were, we, that God worked in our lives so that we turned from idols, that is, dead idols, that were just supposed to be images that represented gods. And he says, we turn from those, you turn from those idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son who is coming for us his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's wrath coming on the, on the world, God's wrath. What we have seen is not God's wrath. We haven't seen God's wrath yet, but when God's wrath is poured out upon those who have turned against God and have been his enemies, it's going to be astounding to us. But he says the, the day of the Lord's not going to come unless, unless it's a time which they're saying peace and safety. Everything is, is, is secure. We're not in trouble. And so it's this idea of peace is outward security, circumstances that don't make you feel alarm. You're not worried about anything. I don't like being worried about things. And uh, I've, I've noticed in my life that uh, when, if I start worrying, I think God's letting me down. But he's not. It's my own heart because just what he was talking about earlier, that young guy that was up there singing, what he was talking about was um, the fact that uh, God is the one who opens our eyes and lets us see the truth about where we are and who we are in Christ Jesus. And it causes us, our eyes to be opened to Christ the Savior, and we put our faith in him. And uh, the next question that he asks, or the next answer he gives is, we will be motivated by this day of the Lord. We don't have to be worried that this is going to crush us. It's not. It's not going to crush us. It is going to be a part of God's way of retrieving this world back into his care. And then, he, so we're going to be motivated by this day of the Lord, the way that when, as Jesus comes, this is down in verse six. If you notice verses six through eight, it says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. This is one of the most common uh, uh, exhortations to us about living in these times. We ought to be sober and alert. Sober and alert means we need to be, we need to have our minds thinking clearly about what God is doing and what he's up to. Uh, he says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. That's not any big mystery, is it? Except for those of us who can't sleep at night. So we sleep whenever we can sleep. But he says, those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. There's the cover of darkness. But he says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so we are to be watchful, uh, and we are to keep our eyes open. We are to be sober. We're, we are not pointed to wrath. Hear that? Christians are not appointed to wrath. God is not going to pour out his wrath on his people. 
He's going to pour out wrath on, his, on the, those who rebel against him and who are trying to keep people from coming to him and finding salvation. If you think that doesn't happen, you haven't read the New Testament. It's, it's true throughout the New Testament that people try to stand in the way of others coming to faith in Christ. They try to undermine them and keep them from believing the truth about Christ. And so the fact that you have come to the truth means it's a supernatural event that's taken place, that God the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes so you could see the truth about who Christ is and you put your faith in him. And so we are not appointed to wrath. And in that day, that day is not going to be a day of wrath for us. It's going to be the beginning of a wonderful time. In this last part, we're going to experience nothing but blessing in the presence of Christ. Um, and, and that's why there is a difference between suffering and tribulation. When God, when God talks about this great tribulation that's coming, he's talking about God bringing judgment on the earth. God bringing judgment on those who have rebelled and refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the last thing is we should be encouraged by it. Notice in verse 11 what it says, the very last verse of this section. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. What is he talking about? Well, that we should be encouraged by this thing. And secondly, this is, this is God's method of encouraging us. Get it? it is a fruitful church life. It's you being a part of a local church and a fellowship of believers, and you talk to fellow believers, and they talk to you, and we encourage one another. It's one of the basic responsibilities we have is to build up one another. What you heard this morning was an example of that. That was a great example of what encouragement is. We honor you because God has used you in the life of these kids, and it has touched our heart, and we want you to be encouraged by it. We want you to realize that all of that labor you did, all that driving you did, all those appointments that you did. And Mike, what Mike did, he ended up having private appointments with kids in order to help them get through this process of coming to learn the word of God. And we want him to know, we want you to be encouraged because God used you in a wonderful way. And so we build each other up. We don't come to church to tear each other down. That's not why we get gathered together as a local church. But it is really amazing how we can, we can take on these qualities because we misunderstand the teaching of Scripture. Holiness is a wonderful thing. It's God making you more like Christ, setting you apart to God. That's a wonderful thing that God does. But you can't sanctify yourself. If you try to sanctify yourself, you're just going to be legalistic. And you're going to notice what's wrong with everybody. And you're going to want to tell them they need to stop that. You're going to, you're going to want to tell them you need to stop doing that. I remember the first, when I went to Westminster Seminary years ago, and we got in the class, and some guys wanted to go get some pizza. Now, I've been brought up in a very holiness-oriented church. Legalistic is what I mean by that. They were very legalistic. And so we get down there, and we, they want to go to pizza. We go to pizza. These are all preachers. They're pastors. And all of them had a beer. I'd never seen a Christian drink a beer in my life. I didn't drink it. I just wanted to tell them how wrong it was for them to imbibe in that beer while they enjoyed their pizza. I could enjoy the pizza without it and just have a Coke that has been destroying my health. <laughs> uh, but what God is, wants you to do is not to be a perfectionist, not to find out what's wrong with everybody in the in the church of Jesus Christ, but to encourage one another. Encourage one another. 
The Fleshers were a couple that went to our church, a family of five children and mom and a dad, and they were so in, instrumental in the life of this church. In fact, I think they're the ones who led the Gleasons to faith and many others. I, at least he had a great influence on you in sharing the gospel with you guys. In that whole neighborhood, I think there were four families that came to faith in Christ. And, and what it was is these people just loved people. They loved people, and they wanted to tell them about Christ. And out of that neighborhood, four different families came to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, their youngest child, Justin, is the one I've told you this story before, where at his childbirth, they thought she was going to die because she was, she was hemorrhaging so bad. And we, the whole church came together to pray for her. And he made it. He was born. And he's now, this is why they're here. They're here to bring him to UC Berkeley. He's going to start college this, this year. I can't believe that. It's amazing to me. And uh, Justin, when he was born, his, his grandfather's name was Prayog. He was Indian. His mother was Indian. And, and the father wasn't really too happy with her daughter because of the various things that had happened. And so there was kind of a, a rift there. But when he was born, Steve named him Justin Prayog. And he says, what I'm going to call him is Just Pray. Because the people of this church prayed for him, and he made it. He came into this world, and now he's going to college. Time flies, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how God has done all these glorious things in the lives of people that you've seen? Have you encouraged them? That's what God wants you to do. That's, this is what he wants. When we think about this, these coming things like the day of the Lord, God wants us to be motivated to encourage each other. I'm so glad that you came to faith in Christ. I want to mention Mitch, but he gets mad at me whenever I mention his name. But I just got to tell you, when I watched Mitch Peterson come to faith in Christ many, many years ago. How many years was that? Do you know? I think it's 40 years ago, a little over 40 years ago. I had got to know him a little bit. We had talked. And I see him driving around in his car, his Buick. And, and he, so he went forward and received Christ one Sunday morning. And then he followed up the next week by going forward again and receiving Christ again. He got born again and again. And I, but when I think back of this history we've had and the way that God has worked in his life, it's one of the most encouraging things I've ever thought of. I want you to know I'm encouraged about you. I really am. And we've, had, we've spent so much time together many years ago. And uh, God is so good. He has saved you. Just look around the room at people. I was thinking about what Steve would think when he got here. And, he, and I know John was one of his favorite people, when he'd see John and, and see the rest of you and see how God has worked in your life. God has been so faithful to us, hasn't he? Hasn't he, Nancy? Has he been so faithful to us? I know you don't like me to talk to you like this, but uh, I just get to thinking, it is so wonderful to watch God work in your life. It is the most wonderful thing. And how he used to work in you and Miriam's life in such such great ways and affect our lives and we want to encourage you you are a blessed saint and we love the fact that you're here i know the chairs are hard but we still are glad you're here you are so good to us and we thank you for being a part of our fellowship you know that's that's what we're supposed to be doing is building each other up encouraging each other because there is a day of the lord coming and we're going to face a day in which we're no longer going to be able to share the gospel. Do you know you, you're not going to be able to share the gospel in heaven? Oh, you'll talk about it. 
and you'll rejoice in it, but you won't be able to talk to an unbeliever and say, I'd like to share something with you about the Lord Jesus Christ. That God sent him into the world to save you and to reconcile you to himself. Because you were made for relationship with God. That's why you exist, is so that you could have a relationship with God. And God has given us the opportunity. So today, as we leave this place, we're going to be able to go out and talk to people. Maybe you're going to a restaurant or something. You're going to be able to talk to people. And if God gives you opportunity to tell them about the difference that Christ has made in your life, don't be afraid to do it. Don't be ashamed to do it. Share what God has done for you. He's blessed your life. He's changed you. And uh, uh, every person I know that where I was there when they got saved, I was there when my son got saved. And he was a spiritual giant at five years old. It was just amazing. But he believed on Christ. And you know how I know? His mother told me. Because he was with me when I shared the gospel with him well, that day. But then the next day, my wife said, something's happened in his life. He's changed. In other words, he was manifesting the fact that the Spirit of God was living in him. And uh, we need to encourage one another about these things. So before you leave this building, would you at least talk to a couple people and tell them how encouraged you are over their life and what God has done in their life? That's, That's your assignment. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow before you. We have been so blessed by these testimonies we've heard. We've been so blessed by knowing that you can motivate a man to lay down his life for others, to give himself away the way that you have and the way that your son has. So we pray that you would help each one of us, Father, to fulfill this calling you put on our lives, to build up one another, to encourage each other. Thank you for sending your son into the world. And thank you for this hope we have that you're going to make all things right even in all of your creation. And we look forward to that day, Father. We pray that we would be encouraged to build up one another and, and instead of figuring out what's wrong with everyone, that we would, we would be, spend our time figuring out how blessed we are for having these people in our lives who have become such a rich blessing. We thank you for that. And we pray that as we leave this place, we would leave it encouraged and built up and wanting to be an instrument in your hands, a voice for you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.